Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. Hello, you are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I'm your host, Ashling O'Rourke, and I hope you are safe and well as you tune into the show this week. On this week's show, we're going to be taking a look at a new policy around forestry. Um, so I'm looking forward to that conversation because it's an area that I don't think we've discussed all that frequently on the show. So it'll be nice to uh, touch base on that particular area of interest. But First things first, we're going to talk about money and a new fund that is um, being launched, a a national fund. But efforts are underway in County Leash to decide how this fund will be um, organised and divvied out and all of that. So to discuss this, we are joined by Dr. Karen Moore. And Dr. Karen Moore is the Community Climate Action Officer for County Leash. Karen, you are very welcome to Let's Go Green. Thank you very much, Ashley. It's lovely to be here. So, Karen, before we get into your role in County Leash, just for people who aren't familiar with this particular fund, what exactly is it? Well, the fund is from central government and it's been administered at the county and city uh, council level uh, to actually support communities to build low carbon communities for themselves. Okay. So, yeah. That's it in a nutshell. Okay, fantastic. So it's a it's a national plan or national fund, but each local authority then will, I suppose, decide independently how it's best used in their particular areas. Absolutely. And really the decision rests with the communities that apply to the fund. So it's up to the communities across Ireland what they want to have, uh, you know, where they live and uh, the role of the community climate action officer and I'm that for leash is to help those groups that want to apply those organizations that are active in their communities that want to apply to actually figure out what kind of projects are suitable for this fund and then to bring them through the whole application process and also I'll be working with the communities as they complete their projects as well. So and the reason I asked you to outline that for us is because I know like the rest of the conversation, we, we focus in on what you're doing and what you're looking for in County Leash. But if there are people from outside of County Leash listening to the conversation, you know, get in contact with your community climate action officer in your local authority and they will have um, they will be organizing something similar. Every local authority will be on their own timeline, of course. But if you're interested and you're not in County Leash, make contact with your local authority about it and see how your community can get involved. So, Karen, this is kicking off next month in, in County Leash in December. We're we're almost there. It's, it's mad to think we're nearly at the end of the year already. Um, but what you're at the first phase of it now. So so what um, way are have you organized it in County Leash? What are, what how does it begin for you? Well yes, since I've been in the role, I started in February of this year and I've been meeting with communities. I've run some public information events on the fund, getting ready for the official opening of expression of interest and application forms. So up to now, it's been about project promotion and talking to communities about the fund. 
And now we're reaching that stage where uh, I suppose the the first uh, official uh, expression of interest is going to go in from groups. And the applications are going to open on December the 6th. That's a Wednesday. And they'll close again on the 28th of February. So there's a good 12-week window there and very much been aware of the Christmas period Mm. that that window includes um, the department has allowed an extra couple of weeks for the applications to stay open. This is just the way things have fallen uh, with the fund. So it is going to be open over Christmas, but everybody can take a break because we did get extra time to complete the applications because of that. So. And Karen, like as you say, it's it's for communities now to put their thinking caps on and to decide what they want to look for. But it might be hard for them to know really where to start with this. What kind of projects might be eligible or might be suitable for the fund? Yeah, well, actually, on that note, Ashlyn, I have to say, and I'll stress it a number of times, even though we're only talking for a short time, really your first port of call, if you have any interest, if this is sparking any interest in you, is to contact me if you're in leash or to contact your county or city council's community climate action officer, because that's our job. We're there to help you figure out, number one, if you have an idea. Number two, we can work with you to create ideas. And then number three, we can take you through that application process and continue to work with you. Um, But okay, so what kind of projects? Well, it's a climate action fund. So really, they're looking for fund, um, to fund projects that make a real difference to greenhouse gas emissions that are really decreasing the amount of uh, greenhouse gas pollution we produce. And that's working towards our national and international agreements on this, but doing it at a community level. So uh, the other aspect of the fund is to help with projects that help communities deal with climate change. So you might hear the phrase climate resilience and building climate resilience. Well, that's helping communities deal with the changes that are already happening. Mm. And we see them around us a lot with our weather changing because our climate is changing. Then there's the other aspect of moving to a, a less fossil fuel dependent economy, right? One that isn't centered around what the uh, building of the present economic model has been, which is very very much a fossil fuel dependent model. So we're going to what they call a low carbon economy. Now, that's all well and good. There's a fair bit of jargon in that. (laughs) There is a bit all right, yes. I could move on to sort of, I suppose, tease out uh, a number of headings or or themes that people might start to think about these topics under. So uh, the kind of projects that might uh, come under uh, one of the themes actually in in the fund is buildings and energy. Okay. So if we're looking at reducing greenhouse gas emissions and increasing resilience to changing climate, you could be looking at things like retrofitting a community building. Uh, switching its energy source to a renewable energy source. So again, we're moving away from that fossil fuel dependency. So then that might be like, you know, every 
village has a community hall nearly or, you know, an, an awful lot do. And and maybe traditionally your local community hall might be fueled by, you know, an oil tanker with an oil fired boiler. So you could, as a community, come together and put a fund um, application in to maybe get some solar panels on the roof and maybe even see if there's a wind generation option available nearby for you. Or, you know, you could look at getting a new heating system for that community hall. Absolutely. Um, Lighting as well is another um, big user of energy in a lot of our uh, buildings. Uh, So that would be another aspect that could be addressed in this fund. Now, I suppose if, if we imagine this community building, and we can kind of get our heads around maybe what the fund is trying to achieve with that kind of buildings and energy slant. But I have to say the fund is looking for, I suppose, a, a more holistic approach by communities to these issues. So it's not just about looking at your energy usage and increasing your energy efficiency of your community buildings. It's about really also making a very tangible improvements to the community and for the community, but taking in other aspects. So looking at a community building, is there land around the community building that could be repurposed for a community garden? And then you're looking at growing your own food locally or even perhaps producing planting uh, for your local tidy towns to use seasonally in the different planted areas that Mm -hmm. the tidy towns around Ireland are just so important in, you know, moving away from just doing planting, which would have been in the past to... Or even litter collection, you know, yeah, yeah, to be, yeah. Wildlife friendly, biodiversity Mm. supporting type of planting around Ireland. It's a hugely important role that they play as community and voluntary groups. So, yeah, is there something that can be done on the grounds of the community building? And then Maybe is there a, an area that could be, uh, is there fencing to go up? But perhaps it can be green fencing. Perhaps it can be a native Irish hedge that could be planted. These are the type of aspects of uh, community improvements that could be funded by the Community Climate Action Fund, maybe a mini forest. And then within the community building itself, is there a chance to support maybe uh, the circular economy And again, moving us away from that fossil fuel dependent model that we've been following. Um, So, yeah, circular economy to be supported in a a community centre sense. Can they can they run monthly repair cafes, support um, maker spaces um, women's sheds, areas where people are coming and upcycling, repairing, reusing and sharing these skills and knowledge, knowledge uh, among so, themselves. So, Karen, it sounds to me the way you're describing this that through this fund, you and your colleagues are looking for communities to be ambitious with what they want to achieve with these projects. Absolutely, I think we need. We we really know what we need. We need to do to address the climate and and indeed the biodiversity crises that that we're facing. And it's just so important that we begin to act. And the fund is about giving support financially and also in terms of um, guidance Mm. to communities to start to act and not to just focus in on one particular part of the solution, 
but to think about the wider picture and how climate action is considered or will be considered the same as community improvement, you know, community action. It's all the same and um, making where you live more pleasant to live in, to where, where you go to work, more pleasant to work in. And um, yeah, absolutely. Ambition is part of that. So not just focusing in on one aspect of what might reduce greenhouse gases, but pushing a little bit more to see what else we can do to improve where we live and work. Applying for something like this and organizing a project like at this scale for your community, you know, it might sound daunting and they're, you know, in every community, there's always the group that are the most active and who are known for being, you know, really good to the community. Um, like how much work will this involve at a community level? You know, does it can people perhaps become part of this without needing to give up the day job? Yes, I think that a lot of community groups, a lot of volunteer groups, and I'm 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 active in in some where I live as well. You know, there is a, a danger that there will be too much responsibility put on one member or one or a couple of members, and and that you might have burnout. Mm. Um, absolutely. So I think the most important thing for community groups that are applying to this fund is understand exactly what your role is as a community group. So you have me to help you get your project through the application process uh, if it's if it's suitable, you know, um, then you will be uh, receiving a letter of offer to continue on uh, with the project if it's been awarded the funding. And then this is where, you know, a little bit of project management has to come in from the uh, applicant group. So you need to really make sure that with the support of, of Leash County Council, of course, myself, that that you also have the capacity to carry out the, the project um, as envisaged in the application. Mm. Now, there is options to change a little bit of the outline of the project along the way if 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 needs well need, like it any to change any but, project like you know they they will evolve as as things occur and you know so that yeah yeah um so i think you know it's important that the group that's applying has the has the capacity to 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 really realize their own ambition mm. i mean it's not uh, a top down approach okay so whatever the community is excited about and is uh you know keen to get where they live and work then that's what they should apply for uh in terms of getting funding from uh, the community climate action fund and in that case if there's that enthusiasm and support from from the group itself then you know you will that will carry through the project to completion and i suppose you know in a practical sense um the term of of the project to be completed each one is you know, given 18 months from okay. you know, when the start date, which is the letter of offer until, you know, a final drawdown. And um, so a year and a half, the maximum amount uh, I was going to talk about scales, but I will mention it just here. The maximum amount is 100,000 um, 
euros of, of a grant for any one project, uh, which can actually, that one project can include different aspects, as I mentioned in the example of the community centre. So, yeah, it's it's manageable. You know, it's not like it's a uh, a quarter, three quarters of a million mm-hmm. to be spent in 18 months. It's, yeah. Um, so then, Karen, you know, if if community groups, you know, representatives, different people are involved in their community groups are are listening to uh, this particular episode of Let's Go Green and think, right, OK, let's go for it. We need to get in contact with Karen uh, to see how we might apply for one of these. What do you need from them to begin the process? Well, really, I just need contact to be made with myself. And um, I don't know if you will give out my email or I can oh, give it out now. Feel free. You're more than welcome to. So, yep, I'm based in Leash County Council. So it's K more, just the letter K, M-O-O-R-E at leashcoco.ie. And by just contacting me, then I can uh, get back in touch with yourselves and your group. And then we can begin to talk about what interested you about when you heard about this fund. If you have any um proposals that you'd like to, to to talk to me about. And if you don't, that's fine because I can come out and visit, we can meet, and then we can work together to come up with something exciting uh, to actually have climate action in your in your community. And your group can be the one to to get a project off the ground uh, to address this issue, you know, at a local level, which is which is really important. Um, we have national and international ambitions of greenhouse gas emission reductions, but they're not going to happen without it happening in our homes and in our communities. And so it's 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 a very exciting time, actually. And this is as well, the fund is going to go 100% towards the costs of the project if they're successful. And that's very unusual yeah. in uh, community uh, funding to have all of the costs covered by the fund. Because normally in community projects or government funding, you know, the, the organisers need to contribute in some way towards the need to match funding at some level. So this is a, a fantastic opportunity. And I think, you know, and I hate to mention COVID, but if we take one positive out of the pandemic, it was a greater appreciation for what's happening in our own immediate localities and re- reminding ourselves of the importance of community. Um, so it is, it's a, it's going to be a very interesting time to see what kind of projects come in County Leash from this particular drawdown of the fund. And perhaps, Karen, in, you know, maybe six or seven months time, we might touch base with you and see what's been approved and, you know, what projects are underway. Just it'd be lovely to, to check in and see see what people have come up with as part of this fund. I'd love that, Ashleen. I'm, I'm really excited about the groups I've been meeting with and the people I've met when I've been out promoting the fund as well since I've started here in, in February. I'm really excited about the communities that I've been um, in contact with uh, and, and their ideas and their absolute the enthusiasm the energy um yeah i won't name any names because i don't want to leave anybody out but um i'm very excited about what is going to be happening with regards to you know this fund the first phase of this fund rolling out uh, next year and um 
actually speaking of phases, um, the uh, fund amount for the first 18 months of the, the projects that are awarded for, for County Leash is 465,000 that'll be allocated to projects across the county. But alongside that, there will be a second phase released. The details of that, of when it is to be released, um, are still to be confirmed. So there will be another amount of money to go towards community climate action uh, from this fund as well in the future. So um, there's great opportunities there. Um, there's lots of scope to, to be mm -hmm. ambitious, to be innovative, which is a bit of a scary word when people ask you to innovate. You think, well, I can't do that. Really, it, it just means doing something that hasn't been done before. But that doesn't mean it needs to be 100% a new thing. It just means it could be the first time it's done in that place. You don't need to be reinventing the wheel. You just need to be using it in a different way uh, where you are. If that Freak makes Frequently so. tie towns groups. You know, if we just took the took that one sector of society and, and community action, frequently tidy towns groups travel the country to see best practice from the the different towns and villages and communities that have won at tidy, at national tidy towns level. So there's probably many ideas that have been you know maybe taken note of over the years, but and now is the time to actually put those ideas into action. So, like Karen says, if you are interested in getting Getting your community involved in applying for this particular climate action fund, contact Karen Moore and Dr. Karen Moore is the Community Climate Action Officer for Leash County Council. Karen's email is kmoore at leashcoco.ie. And of course, Karen, if they pick up the phone and call uh, Leash County Council offices and ask to be put through to you, I'm sure that won't be a problem at all. But Dr. Karen Moore, Community Climate Action Officer for Leash County Council, thank you so much for joining us on Let's Go Green. And we will touch base um, in a couple of months' time. We, get, we give people a chance to put their ideas on paper, um, but we check back in and see how the, the whole thing is progressing. Thank you very much, Ashley. That'd be great. Well, stay tuned. Coming up after the break, we're going to be checking in on new proposals for forestry and uh, how we are managing forestry in a bid to tackle climate change. We'll be back after these. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103 and we're joined on the line now by Pat McCormack, President of the Irish, the ICMSA. Pat, you are very welcome to Let's Go Green. Thank you very much. Pat, um, am I right in saying that this week saw a first for the ICMSA, the first time that you had a Minister for the Environment address the conference? Well, I wouldn't be 100% sure about the first time for the Minister uh, minister for the Environment, but it certainly was the first time for um, a Green TD um, and indeed ultimately Minister for the Environment at this point in time, Eamon Ryan. Um, you know, I suppose it created a huge degree of interest because there, there there's um, huge challenges out there, whether it's the Nature Restoration Act or indeed um, the derogation. So, you know, there was huge interest. Um, we also had T-shirts, Leah Varadka, but and Minister for Agriculture, uh, Charlie McConnell, but certainly um, there was no weaning of the crowd. Um, Liam and Ryan had had appeared and indeed exited the room. Um, you know, I suppose he he stayed with us for an hour, um, and there was good engagement, um, good constructive engagement. I'd have to say. So, you know, what were the issues that 
your members wanted to raise with Eamon Ryan? You know, what are the key concerns um, from your members at the moment? Well, look, it didn't surprise me when you had the likes of Pat O'Brien and Michael Ryan or Michael Guinan representing um, Offaly ICMSA raised their hands. Uh, it was the re-wetting, it was the re-wetting of the Board of Mona Land um, in the Midlands and the impact, potential impact uh, on adjoining holdings. Um, Minister Ryan did give a commitment uh, that he would attend the meeting, a public meeting in Tullamore um, at some point in the very near future uh, that, we, that we shall uh, organise uh, to hear the views and the, the grievances, I suppose, of farmers who haven't got assurances about making right um, any potential damage that could be done to their ability to earn a living. Um, the Nature Restoration Act, in, in the wider context, obviously, <clears throat> is a huge concern to farmers and indeed farm families. Um, he would have also got, I suppose, the more commercial side of it, which is the, the derogation and the move from 250 to 220 mm. and the impact the impact that that's having on the family farm model because, you know, he made it clear that he was in favour of the family farm structure uh, and this is having a huge impact on that structure. And on the rewetting of, of Bogland and the impact, there has been so much talk about the importance of rewetting Bogland, but I, from my perspective at least, very little on the logistics of how it will be done and how it will be done safely. Did he have any reassurances in that regard? Um, no, I suppose it's fair to say. Um, you know, and obviously the rewetting of Bogland is, is one thing and, and it's the re-wet, I suppose the potential impact on adjoining holdings um, is a totally different kettle of fish. I suppose there's a lot of peatlands out there as well that are are viable commercial farms and that's huge concern out there about the rewetting the potential to have to rewet those and the fact that they would do away with the viability of the holdings. Um certainly, you know, I suppose he went away with <clears throat> in in very, very clear terms, um that the farmers and the family farm model and the dairy family farm isn't isn't happy uh with things as they as they are and with the plans for twenty thirty and indeed the plans for twenty fifty. Um Obviously, you know, there would have also um, been concerns expressed about the lack of opportunity for <clears throat> for farmers to enter an acre scheme that is confined to 4,000 farmers for this year. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see some movement there from the government uh, in the weeks and months ahead to increase the number of farmers that into that environmental scheme. And I know the, the Taoiseach, when he spoke at the conference, he mentioned that, you know, the divisive nature of a lot of these conversations and that for some, um, it has been the, the climate movement is seen as being an, an anti-farming movement. And has that been your experience, uh, Pat? You know, like any farmers that I've spoken to over the years broadcasting, they want to protect the land that they're working on because it's what gives them the income. So there is a buy-in there, but, but there is a... Um, I suppose there is a suggestion that a lot of the coverage has been anti-farmer, but I'm interested in hearing what, what your perspective on it is. Well, look, um, I suppose we have to work together. Mm. We have to accept that we've, we've targets to meet at this point in time. Uh, we believe we're in a position as an industry to meet those targets. Um, but I suppose ultimately we're not being given the time. And an example of that is the move from 250 to 220 from a nitrates derogation point of view, and that's hugely frustrating for farmers. We have seen a huge uptake in replacing chemical nitrogen with organic nitrogen from the point of view of the utilisation of slurry with low emission slurry spreading, but also the, the sowing of multi-species swarts and indeed clovers. Mm. Um, which has delivered a 14 and a 15% reduction in chemical fertiliser over the last two years, which is hugely significant. Um, but, you know, 
we have more ground to make uh, and we believe we're in a position to do so when we tackle the, the EBI or the um, the breeding index uh, and take into account uh, the emissions uh, from the genetics. We believe there's significant progress to be made there. So we believe we can hit the, the 25% target as an industry, but we believe we can do more than that uh, if the right incentives were in place. And, you know, for example, solar panels to cover every shed in, in the country um, should be the target of the government. But again, in recent times, and I was at an AGM in Kilkenny the other night, and I came up again at our AGM that the infrastructure isn't in place yeah. for farmers who want to put in significant solar energy. And, you know, we talk about a visual impact and an environmental impact. They'd be minimalistic, uh, and we could have a huge impact uh, on the national inventory from an energy perspective. But that in turn turns out to be hugely frustrating for farmers because if they cover every roof uh, in the parish uh, with solar panels, there's no benefit to agriculture. It goes straight to energy. So those kind of things, hopefully, he will take on board um, and see if we can have a fairer distribution um, of the various benefits into the future and recognition, indeed, for the industry. Well, Pat McCormack, President of the ICMSA, thank you for touching base with us after the appearance of um, and a number of politicians, including the Taoiseach, at your conference there during the week. And we will look forward to the Minister for the Environment's visit to the Midlands to discuss all of these issues in more detail in the not-too-distant future. Thanks for joining us on the show this week, Pat. Thank you, Ashlyn. We'll be back after the break. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid. Managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And I hope you are enjoying the show so far this week. Well, unintentionally, it's turning into a leash episode of Let's Go Green. I'm joined now by Andy Dunn, who's based in Port Leash, and Andy is from the Agricultural Consultants Association. Andy, you are very welcome to Let's Go Green. Thank you very much, Ashley. So, Andy, for people who don't know what an agricultural consultant is, before we get into forestry, can you just explain to us what exactly it is that the Agricultural Consultants Association does? Well, the agricultural consultant is uh, he he or she provides advice to farmers and landowners on farming and land use in general. There's about 200 uh, consultants in the country. Uh, we, I suppose, for ease of reference for yourself, we in some ways mirror what the, what Chagas, uh, the state farm advisory services, do. We okay. deal with about 55,000 farmers, which is not an insignificant number nationally, mm-hmm. given that there's about 120,000 of them. So we're, we, we're a significant player in the farm advisory and land use scene. So you have a particular interest, as I understand it, in forestry. And over the last, well, probably two decades now, the importance of forestry has really come to the fore, particularly when it comes to mitigating against climate change. And of course, we know that historically in Ireland, we have been getting rid of forests for generations. And now we're trying to afforest, to to replant and to to build up our our forestry reserves. But um, as I understand it from your own organization's perspective, we're not doing that 
quickly enough. We're, we're not putting the, the efforts in on the ground to get afforestation targets to, to meet the, the targets that have been set. That's that's correct, and um, I suppose I want to be. I want to be. I have an interest in it. I see it as a valuable land use for landowners, and I see it very much as a complementary um, farming enterprise. No different than cattle or sheep or the growing of crops. Uh, I see it as something that occurs on farms. It hasn't been going well in recent times. Um, we started a campaign maybe 30 years ago where incentives were given to farmers and private landowners to plant trees on part of their land. That started very well, but in recent years it has, I won't say it has ground to a halt, but it has it has failed fairly dramatically to reach uh, the targets that are set out in policy um, and as you say yourself, the policy very much now is grounded in in climate change and biodiversity and things like that. So we're failing something that we should be doing well. It, and, and, and this is not criticism. This is just oh. fact. The numbers are not lying to us. So uh, we we think we we've had a think about this in the consultants association. And we have some pointers and suggestions, I suppose, to to make. Can I ask, Andy, do we know why, as you say, they haven't ground to a halt, but things have substantially slowed down? Are there any key reasons for that that lack of progress? Well, I, I suppose if it was if it was simple, it would have been sorted out. The the. the the reasons are probably complex and maybe a little bit emotional. Um, the Irish farming community has a very um, emotive interaction with the land it owns, mm. and uh, it has very set views on what should be done with that land. And I suppose uh, we, apart from a few other things that go on, we need to tackle the problem at that level. We need to convince the farming community that this is a good thing to do, that uh, this won't devalue their property. This will allow them to continue to farm In from their perspective. It's not something else. It is a type of farming. In the past, we have set it apart as something other than farming. So we need to look to, to kind of arrest the, the malaise that's there. We need to look at it at a deeper level than some of the more recent problems around licensing and bureaucracy that have kind of been highlighted. And we need to get out there amongst the farming community and work hard to coax them, convince them, reassure them and incentivize them that this is the right thing to do. I suppose we come from it from a. I'm trying, as I say, as I'm trying, we're trying to come at it from a, a positive perspective. And I think, like you've really hit the nail on the head there, Andy. Like, like I didn't grow up on a farm. You know, I'm a I'm a townie. You might as well say, mm. but. My parents come from farming backgrounds. My my aunts, uncles, you know, cousins all live on farms, and and I and on the family farm in particular. Like I have, 
um, a deep will that those farms are cared for and that they survive through the generations because, you know, it, it tugs on your heartstrings. We all have that that connection with the land here in Ireland. And and it is a, a deeply personal, you might even say spiritual connection. And frequently there there can be a fear of change and a fear of, well, this is what we've done on this farm for generations. And if I try, say, forestry or I try something completely different, that that if this fails, I will let the family down. Like it, it can be a very big deal for individual farmers to to make that kind of change, even if they know it's the right thing to do in terms of climate action. And, and to 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 say back to you what you said yourself, you you're hitting the nail on the head now as well. It, we we it, it, in a way the the high numbers of or the high areas that were planted in the initial years of private afforestation were the harvesting of the low hanging fruit. It was the it was the willing early adopters. Um, but now we have got past that and we 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 have the land resource but we need to convince and reassure that the landowners that they're doing the right thing and we probably need to do more than that we we have to we're expecting them to provide biodiversity and we're expecting them to sequester carbon but we're making no attempt to to say we we will give them a premium for 20 years but what happens after that? So is the landowner supposed to become a philanthropist and donate their land to carbon sequestration or or biodiversity? So we've got to think, and, and there are markets out there, we've got to think, uh, uh, you know, of how we engage with the farmer uh, on those things. The, the, the old model of going in, uh, planting the farm, Closing the gate, putting in a hundred percent Sitka spruce, and coming back in twenty or twenty-five years' time will not work because what it does, if you think about it, you're closing the gate. Where does the landowner go? Where is their their engagement with the land is over? So we need to think in a wholly different approach uh, uh, as to how we 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 capture, we convert, we more land to a new type of farming uh, and, and that's that's the focus we have in this that we 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 convince we reassure we incentivize but we don't alienate the people who have the land from farming we 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 make farm forestry a legitimate and real farm enterprise we haven't done that in the past so you've gone away You've had a significant think about this as a as an overall problem. And now you have a new document which, which outlines some proposals for a yeah. change in policy. Mm. Now, I yeah. know we're not going to have the time on radio to go into the, the nitty gritty, but um, talk, talk us through what it is that you think will help this tackle this particular problem. Well, I suppose there's 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 a couple of levels we need to operate in here. The, the regulatory regime we have is is onerous and it is time consuming and it is off putting, right? So if we need to, to convince not the early adopters now but the the more conservative element, we have to make things easy. 
We, we're mm. not doing that. We have to make it easy for them. And that's just people don't walk into situations and take hard choices if there's an easy choice. So, for example, if it's easier to lease your land, uh, which it is, to a farmer down the road who is milking cows than it is to plant some of your own land and stay farming, which choice will you make? You'll make the easy choice. Um, It's just human nature. So we have to make it easier for them from a regulatory perspective. We have to think long term. We have to say, well, we want you to plant more broadleaves. But after 20 years, we don't know what's going to happen to you. So we have to we have to create certainty over time that you're not just giving up your land to to uh, as, as we said at the start, there's a motive and I suppose financial connections to land. So you need to create surety around income and and and. Um, one of the one of the criticisms of forestry is that the minute you plant it, you devalue your land mm. because the land will stay in forestry forever, and you can only get some income out of it on and off. So you must you must deal with that legitimate fear. The other thing, the other things you must do, if you decide to plant some of your land, you must your farming status must not be interfered with. Status, uh, the status of being a farmer is important, and um, in the past, if you, for example, planted all your land, you no longer were a farmer. The herd number was taken from you or made dormant. Uh, you you ceased to avail of certain premiums and payments that were there. So you can't you can't financially disincentivize people uh, in 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 their decision to make uh, to change land use, even change it a little bit. So, and the reality is that as a society, we need farmers to go down this route in order to protect our lives going forward and 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 the country going forward. So it seems logical that the government, the Department of Agriculture would want to to take these measures on board. But is it um, a symptom of our election to our election style of government in that, you know, there's no government, no matter what party you're you're a part of, they're not going to be guaranteed to still be in power in 20 or 30 years time to see the, the benefits of this. We, we need politicians and leaders to see beyond the, the immediate on this, don't we? We need to get them to be thinking long, long term. <laughs> Very challenging for politicians. In fairness, I mean they they work in election windows, mm-hmm. uh, but um, I I think we do need the leadership, and I think there is on the ground there is people know that that climate is changing. There's there's huge acceptance of it now, and and the evidence is is pretty much overwhelming, and people know we have to change, and we will have to make hard decisions, and. Some of the things we're talking about aren't particularly hard decisions. Um, we, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about monitorizing the fixing of carbon into the ground. You know, um, that's already happening, but we just need it. But it's not happening in the in in the forestry and land use sector. So we need to organize that so people have a real and prolonged incentive to do that, and that they have, you know, that 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 they know. They're not just doing good, you know. We, we. I think, I think the delivery of public goods is well justified in 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 subsidising those things 
is in, in what they deliver for what they deliver is well worth doing. And look, and it has to be financially viable. Like at the end of the day, farmers like the rest of us have, you know, roofs over their heads to to pay for and, and bills and light and heat and food and all of that. So, you know, it has to be, they have to have surety that they will have an, uh, the ability to derive an income from this on an ongoing basis for decades to come. Uh, absolutely. But let, let's not, there are other things. We we need to change the way we do it. We, we I think it was Einstein said, if we stay doing the same thing, and mm-hmm. expect different results were insane. I'm paraphrasing him, but that's what he said, and he was a clever fellow, I think. And um, we, so we need to rethink how we do this at a fundamental level. And th- I, I, this is where I would be a little bit, cri- well, I would urge the state and the Forest Service, they need to stand back and have a good look at what's happening because the results of their efforts are stark. starkly negative. They're not engaging with the landowners. In fact, they're losing. And we have to change that. But that change is is, it's as hard at times for the state to change uh, as it is for private landowners who we've we've been talking about here. But the imperative is the imperative to change is is real and it's dramatic. We have doing nothing is not an option anymore. No, it's not. And I suppose you mentioned the Sitka spruce and um, there's an awful lot of backlash against those who have planted that over the last number of decades. You know, what kinds of forestry do we need to be building up in Ireland now? Well, um, there's some backlash. I don't know know where the science is on it. I mean, you're back to the emotive thing again. Mm. Uh, One of the one of the. Sitka spruce grows very well in Ireland, and uh, as a consequence of growing very well, it fixes carbon at a much faster rate than any other plant spe- than, than any other tree species we have. So you have that kind of, um, I suppose, contradiction to deal with. It mightn't be, it mightn't be flavor of the art, but it does that particular job very well. So I mean. I don't disagree. We have to, there are other compelling reasons why we should move away a little bit from Sitka spruce. One being that we we're putting all our eggs in the one basket. The problem of a monoculture. Um, uh, we probably we so we need to deal with that. Um, we do need to diversify from a couple of reasons. From a commercial reason, reason we don't need to put all our eggs in the one basket. We need to enhance habitats. Um, um and 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 improve biodiversity and monocultures don't really do that uh, don't tick that box um and what we do need to keep an eye on it's it the ability of sitka spruce to fix carbon and its ability to produce commercial timber and we we have to go beyond just um you know if if we change from concrete and steel to wood, we're going to have to fuel that. I don't mean fuel in terms of burning, but we're going to have to supply wood to the construction sector. So we need timber like Sitka spruce at some level. Agreed, we have to we have to diversify and we have to reduce our dependence on it for various reasons. But we don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. We need to we need to be careful in our choices uh, and maybe a bit more thoughtful in what we do. 
What kind of feedback have you been getting on on this, these policy proposals? Uh, well, I suppose it, it, I, I've been getting positive feedback, but I'm probably we've probably been in our own little bubble mm-hmm. uh, and our own little echo chamber. In fairness, it, it's it's hitting the ground in the last few days. So I don't know. Uh, one of the things we've been, as I said here, we've been careful of is to not to be too critical and maybe point ways, point at problems and 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 try and highlight solutions or potential solutions because the one thing forestry doesn't need uh, um, is another criticism and yeah. another bit of bad press. It needs to say, look, this is a good news story. Uh, it has its issues, but we need to address them and move them forward. Uh, uh, fundamental is to the, to the thing is the thing of getting to the kitchen tables uh, of the farm families sitting down, talking, with spending time. And when I say when I say time, we may need to spend years and years sowing the seed of. You could maybe plant twenty acres here. You'll get a nice few bob. Um, it, you engage yourself in it. You grow good trees. Good trees don't grow by accident. They require management. So you engage the farmer in that. So there's a coaching, teaching encouraging uh, role to be played and to be played for quite a while here. Uh, and, and that's one of our fundamentals that we, you know, we, we it, it's not just good enough anymore to put a, front, a full page um, advertisement in the, in the, la, in the national or local paper or indeed the farmer's journal that, that has, no. you know, that has limited enough effect. It creates an awareness, but to actually get the person to make the change that's needed, they need a lot of reassurance and handholding. And you know, the, the the getting into the system process needs to be simplified. It like you know, at the end of the day, people who go into farming don't necessarily are not. The, type of people that necessarily enjoy doing paperwork. There are some people in the world who enjoy doing paperwork. I can't claim to be one of them myself, but, you know, it has to be, the process has to be simplified. Yeah, and, and, and we accept there's a process um, and we we were at odds. I was on a, a working group for maybe two years there called Project Woodland and it involved the stakeholders having a look at the regulatory system. We we didn't get any change, but, but we were very frustrated because we know we're all under the same, if you like, regulatory umbrella by virtue of being in the EU. Mm. And our colleagues in France and Germany and Denmark, where I was lately, have a very significantly different interpretation of the regulation than we have. We have taken um, an interpretation that that creates a lot of um, difficulty for us and is alienating. And we, we, we just have to look, we have no choice but to look at it again. Well, Andy Dunn of the Dr. Andy Dunn of the Agricultural Consultants Association. Thank you for speaking with us here on Let's Go Green. And uh, it will be interesting to see uh, what comes of your proposals and whether we see uh, any changes in the forestry system. And we will be sure to check in with you once again. Thanks very much for your time, Andy. You're welcome, Ashley.
Well, we'll be back after the break. Stay tuned to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103 and I'm afraid we are right out of time on this week's episode of the show. Just want to take a quick moment uh, Karen Moore who spoke to me at the top of the programme this week she wanted me to remind you that the Community Climate Action Fund accepts applications for projects at three different financial levels so it can be a small project that's up to €20,000 something from €21,000 to €50,000 or a big scale project from 51,000 to 100,000 euros. So, you know, the maximum amount is 100,000 euro of an award if your fund, your project is eligible for this particular fund. But it doesn't have to be at that significant scale. It can be a much smaller project. So the best bit of advice I can give you is to contact Leash County Council and ask to speak to Karen Moore, who is the Community Climate Action officer there. And the other thing to let you know about in County Leash this week, Leash County Council is running a public climate action drop-in clinic this coming Thursday, the 23rd of November. Karen will be there to give guidance on the applications to the particular fund. And the drop-in this week is in Abbey Leaks Library on Thursday between 11 to 1 and Port Leash Library from 5 until 7 o'clock. And if you want any more details, the um, on the Community Climate Action Fund in your local area. Contact your local authority, whether it's a city council or a county council, and ask to speak with your Community Climate Action Officer for that particular local authority. And I am very excited to see what kind of projects come out of this fund for County Leash and, of course, right across the Midlands. Well, I hope you enjoyed this particular episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. Once again, I want to thank you to each and every one of you who tunes in every week. Your loyal listenership is what keeps the show on the air, whether that's by tuning in on FM or indeed through Midlands 103's podcast section, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any one of those number of uh, podcast apps. We're well over the 100,000 listens on the podcast, which is a, a great source of pride for the show. So please do keep listening. And don't forget that you can get in contact with me directly through midlands103.com just click on the on air team and then look for my name Ashling O'Rourke and send me an email directly if there's something that you'd like me to feature on the show or indeed if you'd like to get on the show yourself just drop me a line and we can see what we can do I have to hit the road now but um, stay tuned to Midlands 103 have a great week and I'll be back same time next week here on Let's Go Green Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more.